Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your life-giving word. Speak it now into our hearts and our minds and the actions of our hands that we would live to glorify you today and each day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just as Tiffany, whose last name is Davy, in case you were wondering, was explaining how she's a Davy, uh, we're thinking today about who are we? Uh, there are so many ways we could answer that, aren't there? Uh, perhaps describing what we look like, or our sex, or our age, or our education, or our interests, or our work, or our wealth. Uh, beyond those, we could describe ourselves in light of the people who are part of our lives, uh, like our parents, or the culture that we're born into, and the people we spend time with. Beyond those again, there are the experiences that have shaped us, uh, like where we've lived or where we've travelled, or the joys which have delighted us and the suffering which has grieved us. And I expect what I've noticed, you've noticed too, that no single one of these on its own defines us, just as no single characteristic determines who we are. Think about, look, just in this room alone, how many of the things I've mentioned have together conspired in so many and different ways to shape who we are. Likewise, the opportunities we have the choices we get to make, how we expect to be treated and so too how we treat others. But as we stop to answer who are we, there is one answer which takes how we see ourselves to a whole other level. We are Christ's church. And of course it impacts each of us individually but so much as well what it means for us together. And over these four weeks, we're tackling one of the standout themes of the Bible, the church. Uh, what we believe about the church because of what God tells us about where we've come from, who we are, and so too, how we should respond. Last week, Dave kicked us off with our origin story. Origin stories are very popular these days, aren't they? There's, there's always another movie coming out with an origin story. Uh, there's Ancestry.com, so you can work out your origin story. Uh, but Dave kicked us off with how we came to be the church last week. And what we saw was the arc of God's great plan. We're out of the ashes of Genesis 1 to 11 and our human sin and all people scattered away from God. Despite that, and ever since then, God has been gathering a people to know and experience and be loved by him. He's been drawing us to himself. First the nation of Israel, but finally and wonderfully now through the Lord Jesus and his gospel of grace and forgiveness. Having been gathered, Today we pick up and see how God describes us. Uh, in there, there's such a rich texture throughout the Bible. We won't be able to cover them all. But what does it mean for us that we are the church? How does God answer who we are? What picture does he paint for us in which we can see ourselves 
clearly. My hope is that as we do that, we'll have our hearts and minds and lives transformed afresh today. And we'll stand in awe that we should be God's church. Now, to that end, and because we're looking at a topic throughout the Bible, rather than focusing on just one passage uh, to shape uh, the direction we take this morning, I want to actually lean into a phrase from one of the great creeds uh, in Christian history, from the Nicene Creed, in fact, uh, which has this line in it, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, we regularly uh, say a creed together. What's the creed that we normally say together? The Apostles' Creed, that's right. Uh, and, and these are called creeds because back in the day, when we spoke Latin in church, uh, creed means belief. Uh, so it's a statement of beliefs. The Nicene Creed came after the Apostles' Creed and it goes a little deeper than the Apostles' Creed. This is, this is just one line in it unsurprisingly given the theme about the church. Uh, and of course, don't hear me say that as we sort of address ourselves this way, that this has the same authority as what we read in the Bible. Rather, what I'm saying is, as it reflects God's word to us, it's a great way to shape and remember who we are. So let's get into it. And uh, to kick off, we believe in one holy catholic and apostolic church what does it mean to be one church especially i guess too when there are so many christian denominations let alone individual churches all around the world well i'm reminded of hebrews 12 from last week where the writer to the hebrews tells us uh, all of us who trust in the Lord Jesus, we are gathered in the heavenly realm even now. It's a reality. Hebrews 12 verse 22. That you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church, the gathering of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. This isn't something far off. Uh, even though we can't see it in all its fullness, this is a spiritual reality now that we are part of the one heavenly gathering of church. There might be, I don't know, 80 of us here but there are millions upon millions there and we are united to each other just as we've wonderfully been united to Christ. So while we may gather in church like we are right now and others will be doing the same, these gatherings, they reflect the heavenly, extraordinary gathering. In this life, uh, it's, it's not possible for us to gather from across the world, but each of us, uh, each of our here and now gatherings express this heavenly reality. And Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we looked at Ephesians earlier this year, and it's not entirely a coincidence, we're coming back to the church uh, just now. We looked at it in detail, and it's all about being the church, isn't it? 
And there's this chorus about our unity, about our oneness. So in Ephesians chapter 1, we hear God is uniting all things under the one Lord, Christ. In Ephesians 2, as we heard read today, there aren't two peoples of God, Israel and the rest, those who are called Gentiles. There's one. In verse 14 of chapter 2, Jesus is the peacemaker. Whether there was hostility between the two before Jesus' intervention, Jesus has brought peace. Regardless of their past history, regardless of their hostilities. And in that way, it profoundly points us to the depth and breadth of our new experience of God, even when we were the aggressor and once bitter enemies. Now we are reconciled, forgiven and restored. Then we come to Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians 4, everything about the gospel and its origins in God, it too reinforces our oneness. And so we read in chapter 4 from verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Listen to all the ones here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Taking me back to my childhood, today's sermon was brought to you by the number one. And in this way, our lives are wonderfully linked. And so whether in Ephesians or elsewhere in the New Testament, we are united in Christ. And the unity which is now ours, it's not something that we have created. God has done that. But in our life together, we are meant to express it. As we live in a world that, well... I don't need to tell you, uh, emphasises our individuality and our independence. We have this, uh, between us, this incredible and defining interdependence. Now, what does that look like? Uh, you might have questions about how does this play out in practice. Well, uh, let me run through a few things God's not saying. God's not saying that we all have to belong to the same Christian denomination. Uh, as we've been hearing last week and this week, that's not the true church. It may well exist as an expression of our unity and work together to some extent with like-minded people, shared ways of doing things, putting property and facilities to work for the sake of the gospel. Uh, but that's not our, the, the foundation of our unity. God's not saying we all have to be the same, each other, uh, each other between us, among us. Uh, that's not how he made us. Ephesians 4 and the body image we heard read in 1 Corinthians 12 reveal our diversity under our unity. We don't have to be the same to be one. But both those passages show us the same uh, we take our part in serving the whole like an arm does 
uh, or a leg does a body and can't do without it. And Ephesians 4 from verse 1, well, it shows us in our relationships exactly how to go about this. In the summary of what will be expanded in the second half of Ephesians, let me read from verse 1. Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. All those instructions are about how we treat each other. Showing humility toward each other. Serving each other in love. Peacemaking. Now these things aren't brought about through sweeping things between us under the carpet or through avoiding conflict, but through genuine humility and service. It's the very nature of people in our differences coming together that we need to communicate and resolve conflict. We need to understand each other and where we have to agree on something we differ about, work through that so that we can come to a settled decision. And so peace. And there's no getting away from how hard that can be in this life as we look forward to the new creation to come because we still sin and we still live with the consequences of our collective sin. And so to express this unity, it will take prayer to our Heavenly Father. It will take repentance and it will take costly grace but it is worth it and it's possible by God's work in us because the most significant answer to the question who are we is having the privilege to say we are members of Christ's church Now, before we uh, get away from uh, one, uh, being the one uh, church, there is a, uh, in this space a common misconception uh, in some Christian circles, and if you haven't come across it, I expect you will, uh, and it, the, the thinking goes like this, that what the world needs, what sharing the gospel and seeing people become believers needs, is for denominations and local churches to be united as one and to do everything together. Uh, to show the same face to the world, as it were. Uh, you might have heard of the ecumenical movement or another way of describing it is organisations who promote ecumenism. Uh, they promote it for good reason because they're convinced it's for the good of promoting the gospel and seeing lives saved. But there is a problem. So the Uniting Church in Australia, and uh, I grew up with family members in the Uniting Church, is a classic example. Uh, they united the Methodist and Congregational and some Presbyterian churches back in the 70s, where what happened there was that in order to win the world, it followed the path of becoming like the world. Closer to home then, you know, 
It's not people out there that we need to be talking about. It's the people in our own uh, space as well. I went to the General Synod, the decision-making body of the Anglican Church of Australia a month ago, and this might shock you to hear me say this, but the Anglican Church of Australia is meant to be like McDonald's. Nobody's shocked by that at all. Oh, well. You know what the theory is with McDonald's? You go into any branch and you expect you'll be able to get the same thing. Uh, But the Anglican Church of Australia doesn't work out in that way. Parts of the Anglican Church of Australia have gone down a very different path, the same path as the Uniting Church. And the break in our unity when I was at that uh, decision-making synod uh, last month was very obvious to see. We even had a motion uh, from these same people to express our unity, but it had to be shelved because we couldn't agree on it. You see, the problem is unity for unity's sake isn't enough. Our unity needs a rock-solid and common foundation. Uh, Think of it like down at the river when they... Uh, build a new bridge and you know we've got a couple of bridges down here Uh, they dig down below the mud don't they that's at the uh, bottom of the river to the bedrock below that's where they build the bridge if they didn't and they build it just on top of the riverbed the water would wash it away in no time and in the same way if our unity across denominations or within denominations or uh, even within us as an individual church, if it doesn't have a rock-solid and common foundation, then very quickly it will wash away too. So where is our unity? Our unity is founded firmly on the Lord Jesus and his gospel. It's expressed by obedience, the obedience that comes through trusting him as Lord, as both my Lord and yours. And first and foremost, at the very heart of where this works itself out is actually right here, in local churches, in our church. And through God's gospel, producing obedience in us, and as we get to know each other, as we're involved with each other as we love each other in all our differences even as we deal with each other in times of disagreement we truly demonstrate the unity that is already ours what a wonderful privilege what is the highest compliment <coughs> pardon me <coughs> not COVID this time. What is the highest compliment I've heard anyone pay to our church? Someone said, I I was able to hear it, the people here treated me differently. They loved each other and they loved me too. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? Does our oneness bring you joy? Does it challenge who you thought you were? And does it show you how wonderfully blessed we are as the church God has made us to be? 
Now, of course, there are other characteristics that shape who we are, things which sharpen our understanding and will impact how we live. Uh, And you'll be pleased to know, if you're uh, thinking back to the picture of Queen Elizabeth, uh, that we're going to move a lot quicker uh, through the remaining three. Uh, So come back to the Nicene Creed with me and we read, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Uh, We heard holiness mentioned in our Ephesians 2 reading. What does holiness mean? Again, it's not something we create, but has been given to us by God. It means we who trust in the Lord Jesus have been set apart. uh, Set apart for God's good purposes. Given an extraordinary honour. Separated from our previous guilt and shame as well as those who still remain in it. Let me take you to 1 1 Peter, where Peter says in chapter 2, verse 9, picking up the role of Israel in God's plans and the way God had uh, expressed that to them and now applying it from the past to us in the present. This is our identity, verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I wonder if you notice the overlap of our oneness here, even as we're focusing in on our holiness. Uh, That sort of overlap, and it's going to happen with the other areas as well, that happens a lot when you try to describe one of the headline themes of the Bible, and it's true of all these different aspects of church. But the holiness which has been given to us, again, should lead us to express that holiness in the way we treat each other. Going back a chapter before in 1 Peter to chapter 1 and reading from verse 14, Peter writes, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. And let me mention this to you, 1 Peter, as with so many of the New Testament books, It was written not to individuals, but to churches, to individuals gathered together in church. And and when we're commanded to live out the holiness we've been given, it's in the way we live with each other and together toward others. Ours is a responsibility to live in godly obedience before God and before each other and toward each other including confessing our sin to one another and displaying repentance for our sin that leads to forgiveness, including being accountable to one another and affirming one another as well with thankfulness to God when we live out the holiness to which together we've been called. Like I said, we're moving quicker here now. Come back to the Nicene Creed with me. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, you won't find the word Catholic in the Bible, but it came into use after the Bible was written to describe 
the all-encompassing nature of the church. It's, it's often described uh, instead as the universal church. You might be thinking, well, that doesn't help me any. Uh, what does that mean? It means it spans the nations across the world and the people down through time. It reflects that picture of Hebrews 12, doesn't it? And we read in Galatians 3 from verse 28, where Paul is speaking about the righteousness that all who trust Jesus have been given by God, that is given to all who trust in him. He says there is no distinction between people. Galatians 3 from verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In the same way, the Catholic Church is the church that includes all nations where the message of the gospel addresses and welcomes all comers, none are excluded. Because it breaks down, the gospel breaks down the barriers that would separate us apart from the gospel that makes us one. The differences between us, however big or small we might assess them to be, the fact that they are broken down is another wonderful gift of being members of Christ's church. And so too, we as a church reflect this aspect of our identity by welcoming all comers. Everyone is welcome. And no matter who they are or what they have done, we offer the gospel enthusiastically whatever your age or nation or sex. Because we are members of the Catholic Church. Now, a quick, uh, quick clarification here. I'm sure the question is begging in your mind. What about the Roman Catholic Church? Because, of course, the Roman Catholic Church uh, has taken this description into its name. In fact, I call it the Roman Catholic Church, but they prefer, prefer to call it the Catholic Church, uh, which is great branding, uh, uh, but it's a claim that says it is the true and faithful and universal church. Like I said great branding but doesn't actually reflect the reality of what the Bible is talking about when it talks in this space. And with that in mind, that brings us to the final aspect we'll cover today of who are we? Because each of these things, when added together, while each reflects a different aspect, they all do go together. And finally, we believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church, which means that the church is founded firmly on the teaching of the apostles as they were authorised by the Lord Jesus to teach us all he had commanded them. As we read in Ephesians 2 from verse 19, consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And where we've heard the image of the body in the past, now it's one of a building built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief 
cornerstone. Here in this part of Ephesians 2, this building is an image of the temple where once God had made himself known at the physical building at the heart of Israel, now ours is the privilege that God dwells among us by his spirit. As uh, Tiffany said, when two or three, I think Tiffany said it, two or three are gathered in his name, he is present among us. And the spirit and his word go hand in hand. And just as God spoke through the apostles and prophets, spoke the word of Christ. And so the church, and so to our church, as we reflect and anticipate the heavenly reality to come, our life comes from, is nourished by, has its boundaries defined by, the apostolic teaching, the words of the Bible, God's word. It is, it must be the rock-solid and common foundation that I was talking about earlier on with the whole bridge-building thing, sorry, engineering background. And so we need to commend hearing it, commend living in obedience to it, Hold each other accountable through it and stand firm against error in light of it. And so when I talked earlier about the Uniting Church or some parts of the Anglican Church of Australia, the reason we don't cooperate with each other, the reason we shouldn't cooperate with each other is because there's a real and significant division between us. It's because of different views that people take, that different churches take of the Bible. And at times this can be really obvious and at other times it can be really hard to see because we all say we believe the Bible. But while they read the Bible and treat the Bible as an authority, should what it says come into conflict with other authorities in their life, just as we all have authorities, other authorities in our life, such as human reason or tradition or experience, one of these others trumps so often the authority of the apostolic teaching. There aren't multiple truths in the scriptures. There is one truth. Our responsibility is to read it as it shows us to read it so that our lives, our church and our unity expresses it. Let me give you an example uh, of something that's commonplace at the moment that sort of reflects this. It's actually the uh, changing definition of marriage, changing it away from uh, a man and a woman uh, married to each other. And the thing is, and I've heard people say, why are people so wrapped up in this? Why are Christians in particular going on about this so much? Let people be people. But, but in reality, that part, what we can so easily observe is just like seeing just the tip of an iceberg where what's going on is really mostly under the waterline. It, it, it's this very different attitude to God's word which is between us where we are convicted 
that the the authority of the word of God must stand over all other authorities that might strive to take its place. When we understand who we are, we've got cause for great joy, don't we? When we appreciate who we are together, we're attuned to the incredible privilege it is. All who trust in the Lord Jesus, we are together members of Christ's church. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And that, praise God, changes everything. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the the rich and incredible tapestry of uh, who we are when we trust the Lord Jesus, who we've been made to be together, your church, with Christ at the centre. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would continue to grow us and transform us in the knowledge of just what that means, in the knowledge of what it means to not only know you, but to be wonderfully known and loved by you. And we pray, enable us to express together as the church the impact, the actions, the effects, the thinking, the heart that expresses this wonderful reality. Amen.